Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around the front. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Bartow. Right out front. Younger fit inside of the net. Now in. Hour number two. <laughs> On this Wednesday, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank, Numchuck pressing some of the buttons right some of the time. I don't know. That's pretty generous, isn't it? <laughs> he tries. <laughs> All right. This hour, Curtis Terry's going to join us. Does the color commentary on the UNLV basketball radio broadcast, the former Rebel himself, will talk about the Rebels as they wind down the Mountain West Conference season and also get ready for the Mountain West Conference tournament. Yes, the Mountain West Conference tournament is happening. The WCC tournament is happening. The Pac-12 tournament is happening. So let's uh, keep our fingers crossed, knock on wood, do whatever we have to do superstitiously to make sure that this all happens. And yeah, the last time that we actually had that was a year ago, almost coming up to it, when the Mount West Conference and the WCC played, and that was great, and we were getting ready for the Pac-12 tournament. They actually played, if you remember, the first night of the Pac-12, yep. and then boom, shut down. Tracy Murray was here. Do, getting, getting all set to do the play-by-play for, for UCLA. And I said, nope, that was it. But at least, you know, the WCC and the Mountain West, you know, got their tournaments in. So, uh, and that'll be taking place again March the 4th through the 9th and uh, at the Orleans and at the Thomas and Mack Center, respectively. But uh, still, it sounds like no fans in attendance. Well, we'll see. I mean, things have opened up a little bit, so maybe it'll maybe by that time something will happen. We know that they're talking about um, the Golden Knights have put in a petition to let fans come back to T-Mobile at a limited basis. So hopefully by then things will go a little bit. And Tracy Murray went from uh, shooting the lights out to literally seeing the lights turned out on him. Oh man, yeah, that was that, that was, was a bizarre scenario. A, it was, and, and that's when you kind of knew. That's when even people that are like, that's when somebody went. You know what? Maybe there's something to all this stuff here. Yeah. And and that I mean again, like, you know, sportsbooks, everybody else scrambling in that, but yeah, I mean, big time and think about it, all those teams that traveled out here and did everything else and then all of a sudden just literally having the the rug pulled out from under you. And again, love going to those events and you know, being at the Mountain West Conference tournament last year and the WCC and seeing Gonzaga and okay, here's a, here's the number 1 team in the country, number 1 seed. And then I remember I opted not to go to that first night at the Pac-12 because it's the lower-seeded teams. You know, they really kind of get into it the, the, the next night. I believe that, that was the Wednesday, and then Thursday they get into it. Yeah, it's almost and like the play-in to the real exactly, tournament part. Yeah. Exactly. And so I did not go that night, but had we planned. And Double B, we were planning on going that. And I remember us being on the air when this all happened. And then 
watching the ACC tournament in the morning when Florida State played the first half, and they said, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're done. And then it was just the news just came out just, I mean, within minutes, okay, this conference canceled, this yeah. conference canceled. It was the domino effect. It was the domino effect. And then the Big East, because we were on the air when the Big East said, well, hey, we're still playing. Yeah, we're not we're not checking out. We, we are going to go through. We're going to grind through this yeah. and get her done. We, we got Madison Square Garden here. We got people in the stands. No, we're going to plug through it. And then I was going, all right, let's, at least I can watch, you know, Villanova and Creighton and let's, let's watch this. Fantastic, right? And then all of a sudden it was like halftime of the game. And they said, that's it. It's over. <laughs> that's it. It's all over. After further review, yeah. <laughs> the game will not stand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was. And then, like you said, still at that point in time. And then, of course, you know, the Donovan Mitchell stuff, you know, happened, you know, the day prior with the. You know Utah Jazz, and it was just like okay. Once the NBA gets involved here, that's it. It's 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 done. So, but well, it, and, and you know we just had Nick Bogdanovich on from William Hill. Obviously, imagine what the sports, all all the future bets and the wagers on games and this and that. Everybody, everything was refunded. And I mean, what a crazy time for them as well. And there are people that load the books for the conference tournament as well. Now, the big weekend is the one after. Right, yeah, that that yeah. That, that, th- that Thursday, yeah. Friday, that first weekend of March yeah. Madness. But the conference tournaments do pretty well, especially yeah. with so many of them being out here. Exactly. And then, you know, of course, we have Hoops and Hops, that uh, the Cosmopolitan, which is the greatest and the grandest, uh, you know, March Madness party happening there. And then, of course, that got pulled. And then, like Double B said, it's not going to happen again this year. So it's just it's just too bad because it is, you know, the the greatest time. You can say what you want about the Super Bowl. That's one day. But there's nothing better than March Madness because you got those four days that that are electric. But it's even the following weekend when you get into the Sweet 16 and you have those Thursday-Friday games and then, then Saturday-Sunday. Then you got the Final Four the week after that. To me, it's, it's like the Mecca. It is the, the Mecca of time for me. And it is kind of weird, too, because you know, look at that, because it seems like the deeper that tournament goes, the less interest there is in a lot of people's parts yeah. because their brackets get busted, the Cinderella's are gone, they're not involved, their team gets eliminated or something. But at the start of that tournament, oh. it, it's like opening day in baseball when everybody's so excited in that if, if you're a baseball fan. Or like a horse racing analogy, people love the Kentucky Derby, the novice fans, but yeah. real horse racing fans prefer Breeders' Cup right. because you have all the races all at one place, all at the same time. So you have the depth of the card and everything else. So, And that's the March Madness. Me. Half the time, by the time you get to the finals of March Madness, obviously sports fans like us, mm-hmm. we're still like really intrigued and you want to see a good game and this and that. But a lot of people by that point have tuned out. Yeah, because the casual <laughs> fan, you're right, because their brackets have been busted. So could you equate that to the Daytona 500? You're all hyped up, and they have the parties, and you're doing all that stuff, and then the green flag goes, and here we go, and then after, like, the fifth lap, okay, I'm done. I'm watching Green Acres. Well, I don't know. I mean, because cause NASCAR <laughs> fans are very rampant. I mean, or the monsters. They're really crazy. What's crazy to me about the Daytona 500 is what other sport, and the answer is none, has their Super Bowl the first game of the uh, season. I know, I know. Now, I will say, with NASCAR, of course, they have the chase for the Cup and all that stuff at the end, so they do still add something, too. But everybody always points to the Daytona 500, and it's literally the first race. Yeah. Could you imagine, all right, here's the Super Bowl, now let's play it the rest of the season to see it's who cool. finishes in their it, conference you're, you're, or something. You're right. It's, it, 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 it's a strange scenario, but again. NASCAR fans love it, and they do have the thing at the end as well. But I always thought that was funny that they basically call it the Super Bowl of car racing when yeah. it's like, 
It's your first race. But don't they do that because it happens right around the same time as the Super Bowl? Uh, probably think, right after that what, and everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it is a big race, and and everybody does. You know, I mean, it, it's the probably the most revered race in all of NASCAR. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's just like the Kentucky Derby. It's like the Derby, the Daytona 500. I would equate that to the Kentucky Derby. And and even in that, there is some things too because the Kentucky Derby is the first leg of the Triple Crown. Correct. So if you're going to have it, but you don't always have a Triple Crown winner. Yeah. But you can't win it without the Derby. So yeah, it, it's just a. But again, you know, I know NASCAR fans. When I did remotes years ago at the Sahara at the old NASCAR yeah. Cafe. I'd put one of the TVs on a football game, and they'd be like, "Hey, there, it's NASCAR supposed to be on there." It's like, "You have forty-five TVs." Right? They wouldn't let me put on a football game on one of the TVs near yeah. me, and you'd hear a big roar, and I'd be like, "What happened? What happened?" Oh, Dale Jr. just went from twenty-third to twenty-second. He just—I'm like, seriously? I mean, those fans love I their know. sport. I know. And I mean, I find it interesting, and I—I've been in the. You know, the the drive-arounds out at the Speedway and that kind of stuff, and it's very cool. But I just, until I was really amongst it for like two years doing remotes with right. them every single weekend, Saturdays, if the big race was on okay. Saturday or the Sunday, I mean, it's I, I got a whole new appreciation for it, and I, but I never realized how much they were into literally every single pass and every single lap. Oh, yeah. Well, you talk about the remotes. So, you know, we used to do the remotes for the Daytona 500. And what I didn't understand was that we would have to go out, at least I did, for the remote at like 7 30, 8 o'clock in the morning. Yep. And the race didn't start like till like 11 uh-huh. or 12. I'm going, like, why are we here so early? I find myself getting breakfast. Of course, I bring it back to food, you know. But you're right. There are these maniacs that are in there. And my hub was always the stratosphere in the Orleans. That's where I would end up yeah. uh, hosting the, the parties. And you went to a different spot or whatever. Yeah. And. But the, there are these maniacs. They're 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 packing the lounge there. Oh, they're they're passionate. And they're packed, and it's seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. I was going, okay. When's the rate? When's the countdown? Oh, not till eleven. What? What are we doing here? I, I'll tell you a real quick story about that. Um, I, I I had a house at that time, and I needed a water heater for my house. And I got a water heater, found it on sale. It was on sale at Home Depot. So a guy comes up who's one of the NASCAR fans. And he's like, yeah, and he was telling me how he needs a water heater. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I just, you know, they're actually on sale right now. I mean, it's actually good timing in that. And he goes, well, I can't go to Home Depot. Uh, my my driver is the Lowe's driver. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but but Lowe's is the, right. the, wa- the water heater is literally $200 more. He goes, well, yeah, but I can't go to Home Depot because, and I'm like, it's literally, too- they're not going to know. The next week he came up and he brought his receipt. He showed me how he paid the extra 200 because he wanted to be loyal to his driver. And I'm like, he wouldn't have known. And that's when I thought, this is a whole different brand of people wow. we're talking about. Yes, he, I is. told him the sale, I, I can't go to Home Depot. I, I support the Lowe's car. Are you crazy? <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? And, and he wore it like a badge of honor that he had paid more, but he was loyal to his guy. So was he one of those guys that would dress up like in the whole fire suit to, to watch the race? Not you know, the whole fire suit, but always had the NASCAR. He had the, he always wore the Lowe's NASCAR jacket, and his wife had the M M&M and M of the of uh, uh, Kyle oh, Busch Jr. back then when he was right. I mean, no, I mean they would come every week decked out in their gear and that. But he literally spent two hundred bucks more. Sure. No, I'm sure maybe Lowe's had it on sale the, a week after that or something. But at that particular time, the exact same water heater, and he's like, I I can't go to Home Depot. Can't follow up that story. Don't think you can make that up, too. But they're passionate fans. 
everywhere. Craziness. Speaking of passionate fans, Vegas Golden Knights, they lose last night 3-2. to two. Dump the helmet. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's right. 0-2. So, again, I, I, I'm looking at this thing. I'm going, no, they didn't do it again. They did it again. So, we were at the first game, right? Yep. Couldn't go to the game last night, so I, I did turn it on. And I thought it was hideous when we were watching it live there. But then I went back and I looked at like some photos. To I was trying to tell some people about, wait till you see this. And I tried to Google some photos over the weekend, as a matter of fact. And it didn't have the same effect. They go, what are you talking about? They, 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 they don't look any different than Notre Dame's helmets. I go, no, no, no. What are you talking about, Notre Dame's helmets? Notre Dame's helmets are, are awesome. It's tradition. This is like glittery, goo-goo, weird stuff. And, you know, like, the, I mean, you guys said, what, the, the C3PO or whatever, which is. Yeah, C3PO. Yeah, and I used the Devo thing if it wasn't red. It'd go, and I said, yeah. okay, it, it didn't do it justification with the photos. So then I actually turned on the TV last night and I see it. And I go, that's what I'm talking about. So I start texting all these people, turn on the TV. This is what I'm talking about. They go, oh my God, that's awful. Because pictures don't do it justice. Yeah. So I saw it on TV. We saw it in person. So my feedback is it's really atrocious in in both live and especially television. And again, remember the first time I told you, I we saw it live and then I watched the replay at home just to see. And, and yeah, I don't like them. I actually saw there's a petition apparently out there to get rid of them. I don't think they're going to. They spend a lot of money on them. And some people do like them. And I think, remember, when the first original, the steel gray jersey came out, some people didn't like that. They got accustomed to it. They accepted it. It was part of the Golden Knights. I have a feeling that they're going to stick with these. I do not like them. I will never like them. They don't care because, like we said before, a helmet's not something that people go out and buy. I don't think it's a merchandising thing where everybody's, oh, i got to get that new shiny helmet or whatever to put on my mantle or whatever. But, um, no, I don't care for them. They are 0-2. I have to admit when they lost, I was kind of like, well, that's what you get for wearing those helmets in the back of my right. mind a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, a, a good game. Marshall ties it up, makes it 2 all. Looks like they're going to get at least a point out of it, but then with 39, I believe it was 39.7 seconds left, yep. uh, Colorado gets that goal. And it's funny because our one buddy Armando, he sends me a text saying, damn, what a lucky goal or whatever. And I text him back, I'm like, how is that any different than Marshall's goal? <laughs> it, it, traffic in front of the net, a big scrimmage all over, nobody's got, the, got control of the puck, and they put it in. And I'm like, so I, I, I told him, I said, okay, Homer Vasquez, and he puts and he goes, yep, <laughs> not even going to lie. <laughs> he, he, he's like, yep, he, he owned it. That He's like, yeah, I him or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, a good effort goal, pretty good goaltending on both sides. I thought it was a good all-around up-and-down game. And, and one thing that I kind of, again, it's one regular season game. It doesn't mean that much in the long run. Vegas probably should have had a point, had a chance to get two points. But now that they've split the first two games, I think it almost makes it that much more intriguing and exciting going into Saturday's game because I think it means a little bit more. If Vegas would have won the first two, they've already got the split in the four-game series. The outdoor game, they're going to wear their retro red from what I understand. I think it makes the game even that much more intriguing because now it is a game of peace going up there. So at least on a national scale and everything else out there, and I want to see good hockey, and we saw good hockey. You know, we, we – we, we, we saw McKinnon, one of the best players in the NHL, who hadn't scored in a while. He had a good game for Colorado. We saw Theodore back in the lineup. 
It looks like Fleury will probably get the start again, although, of course, they don't tell us anything about Leonard, what's going on. Right. Uh, Robin Leonard does have a new helmet that's on social media, which looks pretty cool in that. If you're into that sort of stuff, his helmet looks or his mask and helmet looks much better than the golden helmets that I saw. But, um, but no, I mean, it's, you know, in my opinion, these are the two best teams in this division, and they should be fighting it out every game. Yeah, I agree with you that I think Saturday's game just adds a little more cachet because it is, is one game apiece. And, of course, that game is going to stand on, uh, on its own because it is the Winter Classic. It's not played in the stadium like all the other ones have been. This one is going to be on the golf course at Edgewood, which is a beautiful golf course. And I'm sure, again, when you see that in the summer compared to in the winter, it really, you know, it, it's it's not going to probably play across like how beautiful it is. But the way they have placed the rink and everything, you know, over the lake that's uh, going to you know probably be iced over, but you will see the mountain caps and all that stuff. So it will look pretty cool on TV. But uh, again, a little bit different than what I'm used to, you know, in the summertime there. I usually try to avoid Tahoe in the wintertime, but it's just a, a beautiful place. I think it's going to come across really good. I'm still not sure what they're going to do, how it's going to look, you know, with the uh, with no fans and that sort of thing. But you know what always kind of bothered me for these winter classics is when they put it in these football stadiums, whether they're college stadiums or the NFL stadiums or, or wherever it is, you see all of that empty space that, you, that the TV when camera When they have to walk up. out onto the field and everything, it, it, yeah. Exactly. But and again, and then the stands or the fans aren't like right on top. You know what I'm saying? You have that, you know, you see the boards. It's almost like construction zone area. I'm just wondering how this is going to play and how it's going to look on TV. I'm kind of thinking it's going to look better than it would with all this empty area in the stadium because they could probably just put the rink you know, around. You're going to have trees. You're going to have all this other kind of stuff. So I just think it's going to look a lot tighter, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it, it, it does to me. It, it, I'd be curious to see if they would have done this in a non-COVID year when there were fans. How big would they have made it? How many stands would they have put in there to accommodate all the fans? I'm curious to see where all the media are. Is everybody that's got media credentials, are they all going to be at the games? Are we going to see more national media because we also have the Philly-Boston game? So is all the media going to be there for everything? Are some of them going to be intense or whatever? So, And I know we're going to talk to B-Sal about that uh, and, and find out uh, you know what, what he's uh, – finds out when he gets up there and sees an app. But, no, it does sound like a pretty good thing. I'm also curious to see because I know there was some talk about building it there on the 18th green and that. There is ebbs and flows of the natural landscape in that. They're not going to change the golf course. So will it be completely level ice? I'm curious to see what the condition of the ice is going to be like. Yeah. Are they going to have it in a position where it's going to be pristine ice the entire game? Because they're throwing it up there, and you say, well, the lake might be frozen over. If it's 39, it might not be. So right. with the waves coming in and that, true. Will, will, true. will there be, in a wave, fans, will there be people out on sailboats or something like that trying to get a view <laughs> of it? You, you know, might be the uh, Lake Tahoe version of McCovey Cove or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Hoping for a loose puck fly. Flying way out of the arena or something. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's a great site, and again, you know, the clubhouse there is fantastic. The and again, this is uncharted territory because they've never had hockey up there. And here's another uh, thing too: Lake Tahoe, as far as I know, they don't even have any ice rinks up there. So this is again, you know, you, a lot you, of skiing, you, but not ice rinks. Exactly, exactly. So it's yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how this is gonna. Portray and I and again I am kind of having a little kicking myself a little bit about not going 
and thinking, okay, it'd be cool. And I, I gave it like a thought for a few weeks ago, like, okay, yeah, I should do this, you know, put it in for the credential. Let's see about this. It's like Tahoe, love Lake Tahoe. Eh, winner, forget about it. And then I just forgot about it. And now as we get closer. Yeah, now that's almost yeah. here, you know, now it's this Saturday and you're like, damn, you I know. know, that probably would have been pretty. And like you say, especially yeah. with you, yeah. just bang, take this short trip right over to Sacktown. You're yeah. right there and everything. So, yeah, I mean, for you, it's even more advantageous for some of the yeah. other people that are going in that. So, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind going up there. I've, I've been to Tahoe a couple times, saw the American uh, Championship Golf Tournament they yeah, have up there with all the celebrities. And, it's uh, it's you know, awesome. Yeah. I mean, that was just j- just seeing who's on the driving range at one time. It's like, this is like a Hall of Fame driving range here oh, in yeah. front of us or whatever. Yeah. But then, you know, you also do, you know, and, and then I did go up there. One winter we uh, took a trip up there and went up to the mountains and skiing. Now, I don't ski. I can never find boots big enough for me with my 60 feet in that. I can't even find <laughs> shoes or whatever. But, but yeah, went up to the top. And, and, it, and it's kind of cool going up the chairlifts and seeing the skiing yeah. and all that. And it's like, you know, I mean, I'm from Illinois, you know. When people said, oh, I'm going skiing, they went to Alpine Valley or something like that in Wisconsin, and they thought that was a mountain. Right. Yep, in Tahoe, you see mountains. No, that, you, you see actual skiing, you know. Yeah. The, the, the bunny hill is a double diamond in yes. Illinois. <laughs> yes, absolutely correct. All right, so uh, yeah, back to last night's game. You know, back to that goal with 39 seconds left. I know F- uh, Flurry was really upset with himself for giving it up, and really, you could say it's a lucky goal or whatever. But it I w- thought it was an effort goal. It, I didn't think it was a lucky. It goal. was it, it was flicked up there, bounced around four or five times, and he just couldn't corral it. Mm-hmm. And again, if he corrals it, then I I just anticipate. Okay, we're going to OT. You know, we're going to OT. Uh, plain and simple. And uh, like, what? This thing is over. And I know he felt really bad about that. And again, it just yeah, just effort goal is probably correct. But it, it, again, yeah. to me, you it hate was- to lose. For me, I hate to. And I I feel for Flurry more than anything because, again, I mean, basically, you know, you, you get control of the puck. Maybe you got one more uh, run yourself, and, and and it's over. You're going you're going to o- over, overtime, and uh, you got at a least point. the one you point, point. exactly. Sure. Yeah. So I felt sick for Flurry last night. I, I felt bad for Flurry, but he's played so sensational in that. And again, where I didn't have a problem with it was, I thought Marshall's goal was the exact same. The tying goal that Vegas got, Grubauer was going all over. He was on his stomach. He was trying to make saves. The puck stayed with it, and Vegas kept after it. And Marshall finally found a way to get a hold of the puck. Flip it up. If he doesn't know how to lift that off the backhand, that's not a goal. He shoots it right into Grubauer. So his was an effort goal as well. So in Vegas's case last night, I thought, you know, they live by the effort goal. They ended up dying by the effort goal. But I thought it was a good all-around game. And I did think at the end of the game that Colorado kind of outplayed them. I think they finally got their legs. They started playing a little bit better. They put on a little bit more pressure. But that game could have easily gone either way. You know, I thought both goaltenders, even though it was a 3-2 to two game, played fairly well. We saw some rusty spots here and there. Remember, Colorado was off for two weeks before they played. So, you know, that first game when Fleury shut them out, I thought they'd have a little bit better effort. It was nice seeing Theodore back on the ice. I, I truly think these are the two best teams in this division. And the one that wins it is going to have a huge edge because they're going to get the four seed in that first round, whereas the other one's probably going to have to play St. Louis because St. Louis still looks like, to me, I still don't know how good they really are, but um, we'll see how it all plays out. But to me, the one of these two teams will be going to the Stanley Cup semifinal. Right. Flurry 22 saves last night. And, again, it is unfortunate that he got tagged with a loss here because you know what happens. <laughs> you know, 
people, the media, whatever, will start talking again because he got the loss. Okay, Leonard, so now we're going to have this debate again. Every time a goalie is on the losing end, okay, you, you have this. And remember the the game where Leonard gave up just all of those goals in you know rap what three in in a period or whatever. Yeah, like, I think well, he gave up goals on well, the first two shots of the game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you got that, and again, like you said, well, we're really not knowing much. What we're hearing is day to day. That's all we're hearing. But day-to-day. we've heard that from the start. But I know. remember, way back, and again, I, I'm not saying that this team's lying about anything because they give us the information that they are required to by the NHL. But remember back when Eric Halla, a few years back, when he got injured and they originally told us day-to-day, and then it was week-to-week, and then no, no. it's like, oh, he's done, and now he needs yeah. massive surgery yeah. and this, that, and the other. It was a horrific so, – and, and I'm not saying that's the case with Leonard because I don't believe it is. But they might say day-to-day, and they might actually not know themselves right now because if it is in the upper body, which they say it's upper body. Undisclosed upper body. Yeah, that's what we got. Because <laughs> hockey only has two injuries, upper yeah. body and lower body. But if he tweaks something in that shoulder and it's the same shoulder that he had the surgery on, maybe they're hoping it's day-to-day and maybe it's not healing as well as they thought. Maybe it's not rehabbing properly. Maybe he doesn't feel comfortable. We don't know exactly what it is. And we're not going to go know until basically they say when he's coming back because they don't have to tell us, and we know that the Vegas Golden Knights generally don't. Yeah, this, it's just insane, though, when you compare it to other sports, other teams. And, again, this – the gauntlet is laid down by the leagues, whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA. It's like, okay, this is, this is what you have to do, and everybody abides by it. This Again, another thing with the NHL, it's just, it, are these individual teams, or do, does everybody do this like the Golden Knights? Just you know, very secretive with the injuries. Not everybody does. Some teams, yeah. a, a lot of teams are much more honest and open with what the stuff is. It makes no sense. But, but, but a lot of them don't. And I will say this: Brian Blessing, who precedes us here on the station, he talks about it a lot, and it does make some point. It's like a UFC fighter or an MMA fighter saying, "Like, oh, this is injured," and then somebody goes after it. Brian doesn't have a problem with the two with only upper body and lower body because if you tell your opponent, "Hey, Shea Theodore's got a bum knee." Someone might take a run at his knee. You don't want to let them know exactly where somebody's injured or hurt if you don't have to. If it is Leonard's shoulder, why would you tell him that? Hey, his right shoulder's messed up. Well, guess what? When he gets back in, what do you think the other team is going to challenge right away and try to see if he can get that shoulder in position or throw some pucks at it or whatever like that? So I do get it from that standpoint. But this team is very secretive. But I think that goes back to George McPhee and when he was in Washington and he thought that the media burned him a little bit. He doesn't trust the media. (laughs) And in some respects, I don't necessarily blame him. But as members of the media, it makes it a little bit, you know, tougher for us. And you're like, come on, man, just give us some kind of nugget. And it's like everyone's just speculating at that point. And he's like, okay, here's your nugget. It's a lump of coal. Make a diamond. Golden Knights 10-3-1, remain in first place in the West uh, with 21 points, and Colorado with that victory, 8-4-1, third place with 17 points. And if the Golden Knights would have got that victory last night, they could have had an eight-point lead, and that would have been something. But, and they'd have been yeah. 2-0 against Colorado, yeah, exactly. which yeah. is big because, again, this, to me, is the team they're battling. Right. Now they're 1-1, one and one, and Saturday's game has a lot more meaning to it. All right, there you go. All right, when we come back, uh, we'll talk UNLV hoops. Curtis Terry will join us. Right here, T.C. Martin Show on Wednesday. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin.
right, as we get ready for the weekend, don't forget Friday we will be over at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Get that William Hill mobile app. Get involved with the app and the also the $50 of free money in your account. Use that promo code TC50 for the William Hill mobile app. Easy to download, easy to use, in-game wagering options, all of that for you. Go over to the Cosmopolitan on Friday and get it or any of the other William Hill sportsbooks around town. And All be right. sure to bring TC some soup or dessert or something like that because no meat on Fridays for I'll be TC. hungry, man. I'll be hungry. <laughs> That's right. Going to have to really pace myself. <laughs> Only soup for you. That's it. <laughs> and yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to, uh, to – I just did during the break. Reach out to Steve Heitner, Kenny Banya uh, from Seinfeld fame. And uh, I am going to uh, you know, go with him and say, hey, is, you know, to tell Jerry that the soup is not a meal. Okay? Because, again, he always wanted to have that free meal – from Jerry Seinfeld, as you know, but vegetable Jer- noodles and broth only. Yes, yeah. <laughs> soup for you. <laughs> All right, as we digress, let's talk some hoop. UNLV hoop with the former Rebel himself does a fantastic job as the color analyst on the UNLV radio network. Curtis Terry, what is going on, Curtis? What's going on, fellas? All is well. How are you guys doing? We're all good, man. How you holding up here? Oh, man, I'm staying alive, healthy, happy. The kids are healthy and happy. The wife is the same, so can't really complain. Great, man. Well, great, great, great to have you on again here. As uh, we get ready for UNLV, getting ready to to go to San Jose here. We'll talk about that here in a couple moments. But the Rebels right now, Curtis, eight and eleven, as you know, seventh in the Mountain West Conference standings. They lost uh, two tough games to Boise last weekend, especially that Sunday game. What a heartbreaker! They lose sixty-one fifty-nine. I don't know how you felt, but I thought, you know, watching this thing that, okay, the Rebels are going to get this game. They seemed in control. And then just down the stretch, things just fell apart. Uh, tell me what your eyes saw as you called that game on Sunday. Much of the same. Uh, it's, and it's hard for me. Let me start by saying I'm on the edge of my seat or either slumped in my seat every time I'm calling a, a UNLV game just because how much I care and how much I'm invested. But it was heartbreaking to see those guys be in that position, especially how they performed on Thursday to do everything right the next time out on Saturday and take their responsibilities defensively uh, to do a better job on cut, cutters cutting to the basket and just spacing on offense and all of it combined to be up with about three minutes left and to see it dwindle away and not be able to finish for I don't know how, how many times this season. Um, so that part hurts. I can't emphasize that enough. But the silver lining is I see growth. I see progress from when it happened at Colorado State. So when it happened at uh, Reno in that second game until uh, at Boise in that second game, it's not the best outcome, but I see them making progress, and they'll eventually get over that hump, and hopefully sooner than later in those close games. You know, inconsistency has plagued this team all season. You know, they beat Utah State, but then they struggled uh, in the two wins against Air Force. And, you know, we talk about what happened at the end of that game um, Saturday against Boise State. Give me your synopsis after this, uh, the first 19 games here, and we'll start looking ahead to the conference tournament. But we know it's a young team, but uh, give me your overall synopsis so far. Uh, overall, I think the key word is what you mentioned. Um, incon- it's inconsistency with this group in terms of they're doing good, they're trending up, but then there's times where they're going the opposite direction. But I think a lot of that has to do with just the course of the season and how it's gone. Uh, up and down, even from the start, not having your normal preseason, um, let alone off season, and then starting to hit a stride coming out of Maui in Asheville. And I think they played a great game at Kansas State, 
And then you're looking to roll that over to Eastern Washington Pepperdine, but then it gets shut down um, for almost five weeks. So I think that really impacted them. But I've liked how they battled back against adversity, especially after that layoff. The Colorado State games were great, but then you see some up and down. Um, and it's hard to get over that hump, and I think the reason is they can't do it more consistently and really start trending in the upward trajectory for the rest of the way is because of experience. Um, and like TJ has mentioned, a little bit of lack of leadership from that voice in the locker room, rallying the troops, keeping everybody together, and really reinstilling and just making sure everybody's on the same page in late-game situations. And normally it would be Marvin Coleman, and without him, they just haven't had anybody step up and kind of come to the forefront with that position. And I think that's why we see some up and downs, um, especially in late games, some situations and scenarios. You know, Curtis, there's an old adage in sports that the good teams win even when they don't play their best. You mentioned that UNLV gets there, but they can't quite finish. What is that to get you over that hurdle where you start to finish and you start to win? Is it a mindset? Is it learning how to do it? Is it finding that go-to guy, or is it a combination of a lot of different things? I think that's a good question. I think the answer, from my perspective, is a combination of all of the above. You really have to have the confidence to believe that you can be successful in those situations, and I think that stems from having success and having done it before. Then you say, hey, we know how to handle this. No need to panic. Um, or try to play outside of ourselves. We can do it. Just relax, take it easy. But they haven't quite gotten over that hump yet. And like I said, at Colorado State, at Reno in the second game, at Boise in the second game, they've improved, and they haven't lost the lead the same way um, or as quickly. So I think they're going to get over that hump and turn the corner because once you do, you've got the confidence to, hey, we can do this. Relax, calm down. But I think the young guys also have not been in that situation, that position before, and that's, it's hard to do, especially with what Nick Blake has taken on with their ball handling duties. And then Devin Till is playing heavy minutes, but also having offense ran through him in the post. So you're talking about a freshman having offense ran through him in the post, and they don't have a point guard, a senior leader. That's tough to overcome, but I see them putting it together. And unfortunately, these things would have been worked out in the non-conference schedule. Have you had a full preseason, but you didn't, and so they're having to learn these lessons on the fly. And you just might not pay off this season, but you're definitely going to see them learn from this and actually come out of the gates hotter and in a better spot next, spot next season because of that. You know, Curtis, one of the, the common factors that seems to be at the end of these games were defensive lapses. And we're talking about you know the games that they're losing, but we even saw that in that Utah State game, if you remember at home, where they almost gave that thing uh, away as well too, the way that that thing ended. And we even saw it against, I think, even against a lower-tier team like, like New Mexico. And I guess we can point to inexperience or lack of confidence or, or, or like you said, just who is that, that vocal leader? It probably all combines that. But give me your thoughts about why specifically in crunch time we are seeing, seeing these defensive lapses. I just think it comes again. It circles back, and it sounds it may sound like to some like a broken record or an excuse or kind of deflecting, but it comes from having the confidence in someone to lead you. Yeah. And now I'm not saying David Jenkins and Bryce Hamilton aren't great leaders, but in terms of what you need to do to rally the team and rally the troops, you know, I mean, behind the bunker and then in battle, that's not easy to do. And a couple, a week ago, I was talking with uh, Justin Hawkins, Jay Hawkins. He had mentioned you don't have to be the best player to be a leader. And I think that's what needs to step out from this group is it doesn't have to be Bryce, it doesn't have to be David. It could be anybody that's willing to step up and say, hey, I can rally us. I can do what needs to be done to get this team on the right page. And in late-game situations defensively, it comes down to, hey, guys, this is our coverage on pick and rolls. That's who you're matching up with. 
This is what we're going to run after this free throw in transition. Those little things is what keeps things together. And if you don't have anybody confident in what they need to do, but also what everybody else's responsibilities are, it's hard for that message to always come from the bench and from TJ, especially when you're on the opposite end of the floor on defense away from your bench in the second half. It's just tough to overcome. Like I said, they're getting better. Um, but again, no moral victories. Uh, so that's, that's the kind of double-edged sword from that, that standpoint, from my, from my thoughts, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Curtis Terry joins us, the former Rebel himself, and does a great job on the UNLV radio network. We've talked a lot about defense here. What about offensively? When you're, and we know that T.J. Altsberger, you know, he has some shooters. He wants to recruit shooters, and, and, and we see that this team. I mean, when they're hitting their threes, hey, uh, they look like a, a great team. And when they're not hitting their threes, you know, the old adage is very, very true: live and die by the three. Tell me what you're seeing with this team, and do you like what they're doing offensively? Uh, yeah, I like what they're doing uh, because they're committing to what the plan is and what the, the game plan and the scouting report calls for for them to. And go out and execute offensively. Now, it's not like they're coming down and, and breaking plays and, like in football, cutting off routes and kind of calling audibles at the line. But I think they're in their best when they can get out and transition. But that comes from getting a stop on defense and not taking the ball out of the net. But that goes for every team that's typically better in transition because the defense can't get set. And in the half court, it's well known, well documented what Bryce Hamilton can do with the ball in his hands and create ISO one on one. But I think at this stage, teams have seen that for now almost two seasons and know they've got to send multiple guys to him and make someone else beat them. And that's where you've got other guys needing to step up and have confidence to take that shot, to make that play, to drive kick, sacrifice for themselves. And when they do that, that's when they put points up on the board. When we're driving, kicking, motion, cutting, balls moving, they're moving, it has energy, as like TJ likes to call it, that's when they're at their best. And I think not just Bryce ISO one-on-one, but that's like you see with James Harden when he was with the Rockets. Um, even with LeBron, when you're just standing ISO and your teammates are just watching you, it's easy to guard because nobody's moving. Numbers are, and shoulders are squared to you. So I think they need to play in motion more, and they're doing a better job of that. But, again, it circles back to me for having a true point guard on the floor that can understand what the defense is in, recognize and identify it early, and know how to call stuff on the fly and not always have to rely on TJ on the bench to call it and have him look over there you know, and get the plays. That's where last year Eli Long – you mean, was the guy that did that for you. That's what you need. But he had that experience. Fifth-year senior, played in the Big 12, kind of said, Coach, I got this. I got a general idea of what you want to do. I'm going to run with it. And that's where that, that trust from coach to player and the kind of that, that synchronization, when that exists, it's easy because he's extending and doing I mean, what TJ's saying, but TJ doesn't have to say it. You know what I mean? They're just on the same page, like, Wink, do what you got to do. So I think that's what they're missing. And I think that at times you see that with Nick Blake, but he's just not quite there yet because he hasn't had the reps. So I think that's really the, the missing component from that um, because the other guys are doing a great job, but calling it like I see it, David Jenkins is not a true ball-in-hand pass first point guard. Neither is Bryce Hamilton, but they are effective doing what they do, so they're trying to kind of adjust and, and do it on the fly. But I think from what they've gotten, what they're working with, they're doing a great job. It just comes down to defensively and offensively staying consistent for a full 40 minutes because when they do it, like against North Carolina, like against Boise for a stretch, Utah State, they're really good. But anybody, if they falter from that game plan astray, things get rocky and they can go either way. So I think that's what we're seeing, but it comes down to experience and confidence, um, which you gain you know, as you go through the battles and the wars. 
So that's my long-winded answer, if that, <laughs> if that does it for you. <laughs> Great stuff, man. Great stuff. You mentioned earlier that because of the lack of the normal non-conference schedule leading into the season that maybe, unfortunately, it won't all come together for UNLV. But the fact that they have been in some of the games and they have made them close and they've had decent performances, once the conference tournament starts, if they get a big win in it and they get on a roll, is it possible that things click and they could be a dangerous out? What are the realistic expectations for this club going into the tournament? We know that home court isn't going to be what people you normally complain about here in Vegas without as many fans in that, but they still are in a facility that they're used to in a conference that they know and if they get that confidence could they be a danger in the tourney and that's that's the million dollar question and i think it's been well documented from when uh, coach steve offer was at new mexico about how the mountain west conference tournament being held at thomas and mac was an advantage home court yada yada it's not the same it's not the same floor they change it out but it is a thomas and mac right so it is what it is i think that helped us during my time when we won back-to-back conference tournaments just being comfortable not having to travel, not have to be in a hotel, and not break your routine. So I think from this standpoint, if they get hot here and win these next four and start feeling comfortable with what they're doing and guys are getting some confidence, anything can happen when you get to the conference tournament. And depending on your seed, you got to win three in three days or four in four days because they've shown what they can do against the best teams in this league. At Colorado State, coming off of 33 days in between games, they were in control until the last couple minutes. And that's with two, three days of practice. Utah State, it controlled them one game, almost gave it away, but still won. Next game, Utah State shot lights out. And then you talk about Boise State, just didn't defensively lock in. But when they did in that second game, they were in the lead and had kind of Boise State reeling and on their heels. So they've shown when they put it together who they can beat and the caliber teams they can play with. It's just a matter of doing that consistently. And that's when you get to the conference tournament. Anybody can beat anybody. We saw that last year in the tournament with Wyoming and the, the run they put together. But that's what I'm excited for, because that can springboard you and get you started not just for this year, but for next year and for years to come, just based on confidence, experience, and showing what you guys are capable of. And I think especially in this year, guys, it's a success, even if the record doesn't show that, because what these young men are going through and all college athletes, you have to commend them because it's not easy, um, because it's not what they signed up for. Mm -hmm. Now, pro guys, obviously, they're getting paid millions. They're going to play regardless at the end of the day. But these kids, they think they're going to come to school, be on campus, interact with their uh, peers, and play in front of a ton of fans. Some guys play at home in front of family. They're not getting that. And so they're being told what it's like when the Thomas and Mac is full, what it's like on campus after you win. They don't get any of that experience. So I think it's hard at times to get these guys up and to keep them up when there's nothing kind of enticing them aside the game of basketball, which is good. But a lot of it is not kind of game of basketball and just not the way of life that these young men um, are used to or have I mean, learned to live. And for us adults, you know, I mean, we still put our hard hats on to go to work. These young men, that's what they are. They're trying to learn who they are um, as young men and who they're going to be as men. And this part of college is a big part of it, but it's not easy. But I think it's going to make them better in, in the long run. Well, UNLV should be able to pick up uh, two victories this weekend. You guys hit the road, go to San Jose State, 630 on Friday. Curtis, San Jose State is one of the worst teams 
in the country this year. And I can't remember seeing this bad of a team. I, I was joking with Frank earlier talking about you know, Chicago State. Seems like they're perennial bad. And But in the Mountain West, I mean, I I just haven't seen, you know, we've seen some, you know, some Air Force teams and San Jose State teams that have been bad, but not like this. I mean, they have five wins overall. You They got the two wins against Air Force. They beat New Mexico, which is really down this year. Benedictine, and then, uh, I don't know what, Pacific somebody or other. They've lost to Boise by 52. Think about that. They lost to Utah State by 45 and 33. They've given up over 100 points on two occasions. They're coming off losses last week to San Jose, uh, to San Diego State by 31 and 22. I mean, I fully expect UNLV to, to, to win these two games. I know you can never look ahead, but I'm serious. I, I know you probably haven't seen San Jose State with your own eyes this year, but this is one bad basketball team. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, I'm with you, man. <laughs> the record, the record. That's what it says. It says they're bad, right? Obviously. Yeah. Uh, well, but how they're losing too? I mean, you don't see a lot of college teams losing by forty and fifty points, and this team is is doing it consistently. Well, I mean, hey, we talked about consistency, right? They yeah. got that. They got that nailed down. <laughs> right. um, but the thing is, and what stands out to me is when you talk about the disjointed season and COVID and kind of playing through it. Um, and what these kids are sacrificing and, and being able to make happen. You talk about the San Jose State team that had to move and relocate, and they were playing in Phoenix for a good portion right. of the season. And so that is another layer on top of it. Not just UNLV. We got uh, six games uh, postponed, most likely ultimately canceled. But we were at home. We haven't had to leave. These kids get to sleep in their own rooms. Um, they get to practice in their own gym. These other kids with San Jose State and with New Mexico, they've been living out of suitcases for weeks on end and haven't been able to go even to their dorms or apartments um, for any kind of normalcy. So I think that plays a big factor in it. And then you look at guys that have, have chosen to opt out, opt out. So Seneca Knight, their best player returning from last year, chose to opt out, is not with them. And it, I think, again, it's hard to manufacture the desire and will when everything is against you and you say kind of, well, what's the point? Like, what are we really playing for? Those cards and things are stacked against us. Um, and I keep, I keep turning back to these are young men. I can only imagine what I'm doing right now. Like when we had to go to Asheville, we were there for like seven days. And I'm a grown man. I was able to work from the hotel room um, with my day job, but I was still away from my kids. And I missed them and my wife. And so those things, it's like I was like, dang, I'm ready to get home. You can only imagine what these 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old guys are going through when they're relocated from you know, their school, their headquarters domain to some other city somewhere else and playing games at the local fitness center. I mean, that plays a big part into it, I think. But also, silver lining is they got blasted by Boise State, you said, right? Right. They also, they also lost by one point to Boise State. So I don't think we can look too much into records because you look at the, the Blue Bloods. Uh, even Duke is struggling. Uh, Kentucky's been up and down. Michigan State. A lot of this season has been disjointed, so you can only take it. I mean, for what it's worth, for what you perspective or you view it as from your perspective and what you value. I think of the effort that these kids are putting in day in and day out, um, on the road, at home with no fans, still having to go to school, being away from friends and families for the holidays. It's not easy. It's not pretty, but it's a win for my eyes for all teams, even for San Jose State at three and eleven in conference, because they stepped up and are doing it because they could have made excuses. But on the court, you can't overlook them because, again, what they did against Boise, they had them on the ropes. So anything can happen. Um, 
And, and UNLV, we got blasted up at Reno that first game, but we turned around um, and had a chance to, to win it at the end. So I think blowouts happen at times, for sure. <laughs> but it's about how you respond and bounce back, because if you get blown out you need three, four, five, six games in a row, that's just kind of will and pride, and that's folded if that happens. But I think these young men are still fighting, and, and they're at home. And I don't think you can overlook them, because if you do, then that can send you in a, a downward spiral not just for the rest of the season in the conference tournament, but again, big picture next year, years to come rebuilding this program. So uh, again, that's my long-winded answer guys, but I I can't put enough emphasis on that because I don't think the general public sees that. Um, And I see it when we travel with these guys and kind of what they have to do because they're locked in the rooms on the road, unless it's shoot around meal or game. You're right. So yeah, yeah, it's not fun. So like we said before, I'm happy, healthy, we're okay, but it definitely could be worse. And these young men are are kind of going through some of that, um, from what their kind of job is, for what they signed up for. So, I don't know, TC. <laughs> no, well, well put, my friend, and, and it, it's true. It, it's very true. It's it, it's very difficult the way these guys. Uh, again, for 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, you just don't know how they're going to respond as well, too. So, well put. Right. Yeah, well, when, T- when TC was talking about San Jose State earlier, I was thinking that um, when they allowed teams back for competitive competition that uh, maybe they weren't going to let them back in there because they weren't competitive. <laughs> but now you put a different light oh. on it, Curtis. But um, <laughs> and You know what? Here, here's So, I know a kid who is part of this program. He was one of their leading scorers last year, and he opted out. He, he, let, he transferred because of, of the program. He went to Sac State. So what does that tell you? He leaves San Jose State to go to Sac State. So that that's uh, – Sac State's pretty bad too. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah but, I mean, only, uh, uh, on a serious – I was going to say was the only, the only thing I could think of between going from San Jose and, and kind of Silicon Valley to I mean, Sacramento is um, Humboldt County. I don't know. Maybe something just didn't quit <laughs> in terms of the tech world and it needed some more country life. <laughs> hey, real quick on a serious note um, – how many teams can this conference get into the tournament this year as disjointed as everything is this year? Um, that's, that's, hey, I said the first one was the million-dollar question. I think league-wide, this is the how many shares of the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament pool money you can get. Um, because just being honest, you look at it in a regular year, if this is how the – the record stood. I mean, Utah State fourteen and five, Boise sixteen and fourteen, uh, Colorado State fourteen and four, San Diego State fifteen and four. Even Nevada fourteen and seven. That's typically going to get you in if you have you know some good quality wins and not just cupcakes. But I don't know that across the board that all the teams are non-conference schedules going to help them. And I think the fact that in conference they've been beating up on each other, and that doesn't help you either because you're almost splitting um, those two game series. And so I think it's going to hurt the conference overall at the end of the day. But then you see, like they're talking about the West Coast Conference, maybe Gonzaga sits, maybe BYU sits, so they can get two for sure and maybe a third. Uh, I just don't know how it's going to play out because these quality of wins, if you're still kind of looking at that, some of these records are are inflated a little bit. Um, So I don't know. I think obviously one for sure with the automatic. Two, I think, is realistic. Three, it depends on which team is that third team and who gets that automatic bid. Um, it's going to be close, though. But I yeah. think San Diego State's got a, got a good path to it. I think Boise's going to have to finish top two. And uh, I think Utah State, they're old ones, so maybe we should put them <laughs> in because they got, they got shorted last year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Curtis. Uh, I want to talk to you next week about some recruiting and some other stuff, too, so hopefully we can, we can get you back on next week. Enjoy your trip to San Jose. Go eat some good food, okay? Great food um, out there. I'm rooting, 
Room service and uh, Postmates is going to be great. That's so that's <laughs> how the hotel is. There you go. That's true. <laughs> All right, my man. Take care. Appreciate the time as always. Have a good one, fellas. Talk to you soon. There it is. Curtis Terry, the former Rebel, does a great job on the UNLV radio network. They play San Jose State. They should drill that team in both games. All right, for Ballpark Frank, T.C. Martin saying so long. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene tomorrow at 2 o'clock. If you miss any part of the show, go to that website, tcmartinshow.com.